We bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus. It is in his name that we meet, and I think it's our desire to lift him up, uh, glorify his name for what he's done for us. Continuing in James chapter 4 this morning. I'm going to read the first 10 verses of James chapter 4. It says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust? That war in your members ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteress, know ye not that the friendship of this world is enmity against with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. <clears throat> Franklin Roosevelt once said, There's nothing I like much as much as a good fight. Fighting is something that comes to us naturally. Um... We might ask the question, why? I don't agree with Franklin Roosevelt. I hate conflict. And I will avoid it any kind of way I can. But we do know that we are born with what we might call a scrappy nature, that we go for the goal. We go for what we like for what we can overcome. We want to win. We want what pleases me. That's the way we were made. God didn't want it that way, but we have the nature that has been passed on down to us. I've entitled my sermon, Dealing with Conflict. We want to look at some reasons why we have conflict and maybe some thoughts on how we can overcome that. The fact that we have a pugnacious nature is not a new problem. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel, as we think about it, beginning there in a field stained with blood. And God came to Abel and said, Where is thy brother? 
He said, am I my brother's keeper? There already he didn't want to think about taking responsibility for what he had done. God told him, thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. It seems that we have had a path of, through history, human history, can more easily be traced by the bloody path than by the good accomplishments that we have done. There are some good ones, but we have the bad ones as well. And that path, sad to say, cuts right through the church, doesn't it? Maybe not murder. Um, church fights occur. Splits occur. Feelings go deep for years. And we don't have to look far to see that. We can see it right in the Southeastern Conference. It's amazing when I thought about that. We don't have to look far. So it isn't surprising that James addresses the problem of conflicts among Christians. I'd like to look then at some things that God teaches us through James as to why it happens and maybe some solutions to overcome that. <clears throat> the break between chapter 3 and 4, uh, James really doesn't, it's, it's pretty much a continuation. He was talking about the tongue. Uh, he doesn't really change the subject when he goes into chapter 4. He just maybe comes with a louder voice. He comes with a question here for the first thing. <clears throat> From whence come wars and fightings among you? First of all, let's establish, and I think I've already hinted to that, who is, who is the among you? Who is that? <clears throat> If you go to, back to chapter 3, uh, verse 10, oh, it was there. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursing, my brethren. There he addresses it, my brethren. Um, <clears throat> yeah, 3 1 also. He talks about, my brethren, be not many masters. And then if we go on to 4.11, which is the next verse where I stop reading, um, he again addresses the brothers. Um, speak not one of, oh yeah, there it is. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He's talking about the Christians. It includes me. It includes you. That's who he's talking to. James describes the fightings here by using two words. Um, wars. From whence cometh wars and fightings. He's asking that question and he's sort of like if you think about 
squabbles among children. You have mom or dad coming in and saying, well, now, what happened here? What, what are you fighting about? Well, who started all this? What began this fighting? And James is asking us, what is that fighting all about? From whence come these fightings, wars and fightings? Wars gives the idea of, of an outright war is what that word probably uh, talks about. And fightings would be more the idea of spats between individuals. So James ask the question there, what's going on? But before anybody could answer that question or point their finger at it, he answers that with another question. Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? <clears throat> the Greek term here for lust means pleasure or desire. Uh, it's, an, it's a neutral term that comes from depending, depending on the context. It can refer to either evil or to good. You can have a good desire. You can have an evil desire. <clears throat> when our desire goes unmet is where it begins to go downhill. However, when it goes unmet, it, it, it becomes frustrating to us. I think we've all been there, where it's just we can't hardly stand it, and it becomes frustration, and it mounts, and it gets bigger, and eventually, if we don't take care of it, it erupts into conflict, and so we end up and war, or, and we intend on fighting till we get our way. James mentions three specific effects that this unchecked combative desire uh, might create. First of all, he says, you lust, or you desire, and you have not. So you kill. Murder? I don't think anybody here has actually murdered anybody in that sense. But have we, how have we done with our thoughts? Have we killed people with our thoughts? Or do we allow ourselves to calculate how we can assault that person or their character? Is there things that we do um, that would injure that person? We snub them, we act ugly. But, you know, we say, well, it doesn't go any further than that, 
so shouldn't be so bad. We rationalize maybe in our mind, do we? Well, wait, James isn't done speaking. He goes on to say, you desire and cannot uh, not obtain. See, it's going downhill. So you fight and you quarrel. You desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Those same murderous thoughts spur on to the second level, don't they? They increase, and we begin to fight with words, wounding each other with ugly, cutting words, words that try to intimidate the other person and bring them down to our level or to what we would like for them to do. Maybe the term tongue lashing, have you ever, you've heard that. Boy, did he give him a tongue lashing. Maybe that's the way we bring our opponent into subjection to our thinking, to our place that we want them to be. Makes me think back of uh, chapter 3 where he talked about the tongue being a wicked thing that is if it's uncontrolled. He also says, thirdly here, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. Upon your lust. Um, <clears throat> your desire is what we are thinking about. Commentator Curtis Vaughn explains, and I like what he said, their request was legitimate, but their reason for making them was illegitimate. They wanted only to satisfy their own cravings, pamper their own passions, God's glory, God's service, consideration for other people. None of these entered their thinking. Such prayers are an insult to God. They were praying, but they didn't receive because they asked amiss. They were trying to consume it upon their own lust, their own desire. They were not looking out for the other person or trying to bring God glory through their prayers to bring a better thing about. So God couldn't hear those prayers and He will not hear our prayers if we are consuming it upon our own desire. If we have the other person's interest totally in mind or God's interest and trying to bring Him glory through the things that we do, then I believe God will hear us. Prayer, real prayer, allows God to come to our rescue in His own way. <clears throat> Another cause where fighting comes from is verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteress, know ye not that the friendship of this world is enmity with God. I like what Chuck Swindoll calls uh, cosmo motivation. In the New Testament, the Greek word 
for a world is cosmos is normally used to mean the world apart from God. Believers war when they attempt to satisfy their inner desire by worldly motivations, again, apart from God. Cosmos, cosmos motivations mean handing conflict by fighting, pushing, and demanding until you get exactly what you want, when you want it. We say in our heart, not really, we're not saying that, but we are, Lord, your way is not the best way for me. I know what is best, and I will satisfy my needs by doing the world's way instead of yours. When we look back at the Old Testament, especially, I think, uh, God often used this term, adulterers and adulteress, when they went away from God and they made friendship with the world or worshiped the idols of their day, uh, they were apart from Him. They were, they were not, they were adulterers from God. Not literal in the sense of adultery, but they were making a friendship of the world. And that's what he is saying here. When we make a friendship of the world and we try to deal with our conflicts through the world's way, it's not going to work. What we might ask, what does cosmos motivation result in? First, it creates hostility toward God. Now, we would never admit to that, but it does. We are pushing God away, deliberately living according to the world's standard rather than God's is an act of rebellion, is it not? The second effect James mentions is empathy against God. Commentator Donald Burdick says it well, and it doesn't cut any slack. I felt like I would read that, and I'm sorry for reading so much to you. To have a warm, familiar attitude toward this world is to be on good terms with God's enemy. It is to adopt the world's set of values and want what the world wants instead of choosing according to the divine standard. The person who deliberately chooses to be a friend of the world by that choice becomes the enemy of God. And that sort of really stuck out to me as I thought about that when he talks here of being a part of the world, when we look at the world for our or the world's way to deal with our conflicts, we become the enemy of God. It is not His way. And I believe James is in awe at this point, and he would probably say again, as he did in chapter 3, verse 10, my brethren... These things ought not so to be, and certainly they shouldn't be. <clears throat> when we think about the, 
the um, what we're really doing when we take our own way and deal with conflicts in the way that God would not. We are separating ourselves from, from God as well. There's a lot of situations in life that we could draw examples from. And all of us have had them or will have them. We will have situations where we need to make a decision how we're going to deal with, with this conflict, this part of my life. Uh, will we practice it God's way? Or will we look at the world and say, you know, we probably don't say that, that we're looking at the way the world does it. We just simply take our own nature that is evil at root. Unless we're reborn, and we'll look at that. <clears throat> or will we take it God's way and working through them? We will meet those situations. I want to now look at some things that, of God's solutions that we can learn from as well that James brings to us. Um, here in verse... Uh, Five, he says, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? And that's the first thing that I think we can have to overcome conflict is the power of the Holy Spirit. When we were born again, God put His Spirit within our life. He made us a new person. He made us a reborn person into His nature instead of our own. And sometimes we still struggle with our own. But we have His Spirit. And James is asking him here, Do you think the Scripture saith in vain that the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? God wants us. He wants His Spirit in there. And He wants us to experience the things that He has done for us. And He will not. What James is really saying is God is jealous toward us. He will fight for us. And we learn from here that his jealous desire takes our whole devotion of our heart. It takes everything. For God to be there, it's all or none. We can't separate. He will not allow us to share our devotion with something else, the world, whatever it might be. God claims us entirely for Himself. No alien friendship, such as a friendship with the world, will He tolerate, will be tolerated as long as He's there. And so He says, the spirit that dwelleth in, in us desires to envy or lusteth to envy. God wants us all. 
When we believers divide our allegiance between the Lord and the world, it will be failure. There's no doubt. We can depend on that. When we draw upon the powers of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, it is your battle. Please take control of the battle. At that point, the fight is over, isn't it? Yeah, we might struggle some, but when we give up ourself, our desire for what we have, and we say, God, you need to take control. You need to take over. At that point, we can let it rest, and we can say, God's in control. And that's that's not easy to do sometimes. Then secondly, a principle found here in verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Um... I believe God will give a greater grace to those who say, I give up, God. The battle's yours. I can't deal with this conflict. I don't know how. And we want to do it His way. He will give greater grace to us. He is saying here, I believe God is, that He will give us abundant grace to those who humble themselves and wait. And that wait is hard sometimes. And when I think of this, when he talks about humbling ourselves before God, it gives me a hint that pride enters in here sometimes too. Um, the opposite of humble is is pride, lifting up ourselves, and that's what we do is draw strength from ourselves, from what we want when we don't humble ourselves and turn it over to God. So he gives more grace to those that do commit it to him. He will be there for us. Come unto me all that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. God says he will be there for us. Then James closes with uh, some practical advice here. First here he says, um, submit yourselves therefore to God. Again, asking us to turn it over to him. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. A lot of these conflicts are generated by, from evil. The devil, if you want to be blunt about it, he gives us the, and feeds us the things that we need if we want to have them. But he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. When we turn it over to God, 
the devil has no room there. And he can't enter in those conflicts. But God will take care of it. When we resist the devil, those temptations will leave as well. When we don't resist the devil, it certainly will prompt the world's way of leading into a conflict. Thirdly, we are to draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. We need to develop a relationship with God, a companionship with Him. When these things come, I think we have a resource that most, well, a lot of people don't have because they don't have God. And when we don't have God, we sure don't have this idea of drawing near to God. And I believe this drawing nigh to God, it comes before conflict. It's something that we have an ongoing relationship, an ongoing communication with God. And He draws nigh to us as well as us drawing nigh to Him. And we establish that relationship. We establish the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we continue to learn from Scripture or from uh, things that we experience in life. Um, And we will do it His well when, when that relationship is there. It's much easier to continue in that relationship and not take the world's way of conflict. Fourthly, he says, cleanse ourselves from moral defilement that would separate us from God and other loving Christians. When we have that relationship with God uh, and we purify ourselves, we have a pure relationship with Him and with others that we can draw from in times that we meet those hard times. Um, Certainly to be separated unto God is going to be a huge step in solving those problems. So then in verse 9, he also talks about be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. When we have that intense regret, sorrow, maybe where we have failed, or when we think back of our past life, and we have a huge regret, a sorrow for that. I think James is saying you need to have that deep sorrow that grows out of a deep relationship with God. The closer we get to God, the more we see those things as as foreign and not a part of God. He makes us aware of that. 
So we need to study the truth, the word, the things that deepen our relationship with him. And we'll be able to right away detect sin. We feel it in our hearts. We feel it in our life because it's not a part of God. And lastly, he says here in verse 10, humble yourselves therefore yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. We don't need to struggle and try to climb to the top, stomp other people down to get our way. God will bring about in His own time um, where we should be and He'll establish us I think that's really what it is saying, and he shall lift you up. He, shall, he will establish our relationship with him and with others, that it can be uh, God-honoring if we only humble ourselves to him and let him take care of it. So as we look at our lives, as we think about conflict, and we will meet it, how are we going to deal with it? Through God's eyes, through the world's eyes, through our own self, or how will we do it? God's way is always best, as we know. May God bless you as you meet conflict. Do it God's way. Shall we have a song?